welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party podcast that focuses on the different technical and inspirational sides of the lives of Star Wars creators. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are going to be returning to the topic of uh, something we discussed uh, a while ago um, that was just in rumor and concept format, an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Apparently, one has been sort of confirmed for everybody uh, recently. So we're, we're going to be uh, going back to that. But before we jump in, nerdparty.com slash contact if you want to get in contact with the show. It sends us a message. You can go ahead and find us over on the uh, network's Twitter handle, which is at Join Nerd Party. You can find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. Please use the hashtag Great Shot Kid to let us know that you are listening. So we uh, we discussed in concept the idea of an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie and what we wanted out of it and directors we thought would be good for it and a an article pops up recently that's talking about an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, basically confirming every fan's desperate dream of what they want from a Star Wars standalone. And the name attached to it was Stephen Daldry, uh, who has been director of some pretty well-known stuff. Uh, Mike, take us back. You read the article. You saw Daldry's name. What was your first reaction? Yeah, they didn't listen to us. What's up with that? <laughs> right? N- on, neither guys. of us uh, picked Daldry as uh, a director for for this this here movie. And yes, for those people who don't know, Stephen Daldry, he's a very acclaimed director, having been nominated for three Oscars and is currently nominated for an Emmy. And uh, he's made a, a number of movies which are very critically acclaimed if shall we say, boring. You know, your typical Oscar fair. And okay, so, to, it, it, see, I, 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 before you go further, Oscar fair, boring, it conjures an image immediately to mind. Yeah. Like, I know, I know the type of genre film that you're talking about, the type of movie that you go in, and from the first frame you say, Oscar bait, you're yep. waiting for the nominations to come out. Mm-hmm. So he operates in this this area for you. There's nothing challenging about it. This is just something that is a safe movie to sell. Like in the term, what I remember when when 127 Hours was up for Best Picture, and people were talking about this isn't a movie you could take your grandma to, and so it wasn't going to win Best Picture. Would you say that Stephen Daldry directs? Movies that you could take your grandma to. Oh, my grandma loves his movies. Well, there you go. And my mom does, too. You know, I remember my mom, like, I came back from seeing Blade 2, and my mom is like, I just saw a movie. It's called Billy Elliot. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, you know, same diff, I guess. And I've never seen Billy Elliot. (laughs) Have you seen Billy Elliot? I have not seen Billy Elliot, but I remember how much of a hubbub was caused by Billy Elliot when it came out. I remember I remember seeing tons of ads. Yeah. You know, with it over, you know, so and so of the Chicago Tribune says a revelation and you know, those types of ads. 
Yeah, and and Billy Elliot was you know um, very well received, very well loved. It was a crowd pleaser, and it was his first movie. And it actually wasn't nominated for Best Picture or Best Director or anything, but pretty much everything that he's made since has been, including The Hours, which was the first movie of of his that I saw. Did you see The Hours? I did not. I'm going to cop to this, that uh, we're we're coming here, and I I have more of a mind to grill you uh, about this because I have not seen The Hours, and The Hours is another thing I... Like I, I stick on your whole thing of saying it's, you know, they're Oscar safe, boring type of movies because those are the types of movies, especially in recent years, when it becomes more and more difficult for me to find time to go to the multiplex mm-hmm. where if I see an ad for it's the hours, an important, serious movie that's going to potentially be depressing and you can spend fifteen dollars on it and the money for the babysitter and all of those sorts of things. Or I can go watch a Marvel movie. I think I know where my $15 are going to go. So that, you know, yeah, I would the, say that I'm not a tremendous target audience for Daldry's movies. Right. The Hours, it was like it was like the Virginia Woolf movie where Nicole yeah. Kidman played Virginia Woolf. I think she won the Oscar for it. And to me, like, you know, looking at the trailer and everything, I was like, this does not look like my cup of tea. However, you look at the cast and it's like John C. Riley, Ed Harris, Nicole Kidman, Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, you know, and it's like, okay, this cast, you know, maybe the best cast ever in a movie. I mean, Ed Harris, Julianne Moore, Nicole Kidman, and John C. Riley together, like, that's yeah. awesome, you know? And I think because of that, more than anything, I was like, I'm there. And I went all the way to Piper's Alley, R.I.P. Piper's Alley, Burning Hell, you terrible, terrible theater. <laughs> and I, I remember, for some reason, I remember having the original iPod because I just got it for Christmas and playing nice. uh, the breakout game, you know, where you hit the little... Oh, yeah. No, oh, break, breakout ate up a lot of time in my life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember playing that while surrounded by a bunch of, like, you know, 80-year-old women <laughs> waiting to watch this movie at the only theater in the city which was playing it, which was also the worst theater in the city. And Your I rem- life is like a David Lynch movie sometimes. You know that? Perhaps. <laughs> and, you know, I watched it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so boring. I do not care about this at all. You know, and I haven't seen it since. You know, that was 15 years ago. So, so. All right, so what on earth is going to attract Lucasfilm to Daldry? I mean, if this, if this is his thing, I mean, like, Star Wars is known for being something exciting. And even when it's not an episode, or even when it has its own production problems, you know, Rogue One still had a rather thrilling final hour. Like, everybody, no matter what they thought of Rogue One as a whole, talks about how that final hour was pretty, pretty great. Well... Let's not forget that he also directed the uh, action-adventure film Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Yeah, that was received well, wasn't it? It got nominated for Best Picture. It did? Yeah. I forgot that. It got nominated for Best Picture. No. Yeah. It got nominated for Best Picture, and I believe it's commonly considered to be the worst reviewed best picture nominee in the history of film. I, 
now I, I will say I got 15 minutes into that one and I was like, I can't do this. You know, I just, like I, 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 cord. I actually found it very watchable. Like, I'm not going to say that it's good. Really? Okay. So, all right. So draw the distinction then. It's not good, but it's watchable. I think part of it, which, you know, sort of intrigued me was the fact that this was, even though it was recent at the time, it was only 11 years. It was a piece of historical fiction which we've seen a lot of, of course. We've seen many, yeah. many historical fiction movies, but I think the thing which intrigued me about this more than most is that, or in a particular way, is that this was the defining historical moment of my life. You know what I mean? I mean, I think of all yes. of our lives, most likely. And yeah. I was really intrigued, and still am really intrigued, by the way movies choose to portray it in the same way that I feel like probably my grandparents' generation would be intrigued by, let's say, Pearl Harbor movies. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, I lived through this event. I know how, how I experienced it. I remember what it was like on the day. How is that going to manifest itself in art on screen or whatever. So I'm, I'm always like really intrigued by like, you know, September 11th movies, whether it's the guys, which is a, a really good, like small movie about like a, a, a group of firefighters, which, um, who's, you know, I think that they lost a, a number of, of members mm-hmm. uh, on, on nine 11. And it's basically dealing with like the aftermath of that, you know, or whether it's, like some sort of like bombastic, you know, almost like action drama, like like World Trade Center, you know, the Oliver Stone movie. Like mm-hmm. I'm always like intrigued by how movies choose to handle that that material, and and because of that, I mean, here's you know, extremely loud and incredibly close is, you know, one of the first examples of that on a large scale, and um. I found it to be fascinating the choices that they made, even if I didn't really think that they were good choices. You know what I mean? So would you say I pulled the cord too early and I should go back and give it another try? No, because, I mean, if that's not something which you find to be intriguing, I don't think that you're going to, like, find the movie to be intriguing necessarily. See, the thing is, movies about that topic are, they are, they're weird, you know, like they really it's a real trick for me to plug into them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, I, I watch World War Two stuff, Vietnam. I mean, in the 80s, everything was a Vietnam War movie or Vietnam War allegory because everybody was dealing with that. But for me, like I've always had a hard time dealing with these September 11th movies specifically because I think a lot of them are uh, for like I lack the proper word. But what I would say is they're too careful about it they're too afraid of upsetting somebody in the audience and so they don't like a 9-11 movie that i think is important and needs to be watched is something like united 93 because it made me uncomfortable it challenged a lot of stuff and even though all all it was was contained in that plane i felt like i felt that day again i felt all of this stuff happening whereas there are a lot of movies and i think that probably this one didn't wasn't grabbing me because it just felt like this is going to be sort of pablum. You know, it's not really 
Yeah, I, I see important. what you're. I see what you're saying. I think I would kind of put United ninety three in that category as well. I mean, that to me was just really? sort of like this whole like procedural thing where like I I didn't really feel anything, you know, behind it. See, um, that's fat. That's fascinating to me because for me, United ninety three works specifically because it's like Dog Day afternoon, mm-hmm. where there's no reliance on the usual tricks of soundtrack and score and everything like that to manipulate you. Yeah. It's simply a story powerfully told is how is how I read United 93. To me, I mean, okay, I, well, it, I'll, I'll say this first and then go back to sort of I think like what what why I'm intrigued by these movies. To me, the absolute best 9/11 movie is a movie which is almost only tangentially related but is like to its core more than almost any other movie a 9-11 movie and that's the 25th hour i haven't seen that oh my god you would you would love it i i honestly I'm, think that i'm you sure that it. i'm sure that you know what i am actually writing that down right now yeah that I, i'm going to see the 25th hour in my opinion spike lee's best movie and uh certainly it's his most skillfully made Amazing performances, amazing script by by David Benioff, the guy who has now gone on to, you know, create and and co-run Game of Thrones, actually, uh, but uh, based on his his own novel, which was written before nine eleven, by the way, but just the the story itself has nothing to do with it, but the fact that it was made and is set in New York essentially at ground zero you know about a year after 9-11 like it just that event the impression that that event made on in particular the city just like permeates every single frame of that movie you know right you you can feel the the changed culture and yeah world and awareness of everything that's going on okay so I mean, it it almost seems to me, and you know, you said jokingly, "Oh, they didn't listen to us when it, when Daldry's name gets thrown out there." And granted, this is all early in the talks. Disney has yet to like put any sort of official release out there or anything. I mean, what does picking Daldry tell you about what they intend for this film, uh, this Obi Wan film? What 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 is their intent? What do they telegraph to you? To me, they telegraph that they're hiring someone who is like Ron Howard, someone who is an incredibly safe choice, who is going to tell you exactly what he's going to give you and then give that to you. And there aren't going to be any surprises at all. It's an established person who has an established track record. He's been nominated for Best Director three times out of like five movies. You know, so he's 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 going to deliver what he tells you he's going to deliver. Whereas their thinking prior to this really seems to have been like, George Lucas has retired. It's time for the new generation to take over Star Wars. Let's find that talent. Let's nurture it. Let's see what they bring to the table. Let's let them surprise us a little bit. And let's, you know, get some really, really great fresh star wars now yeah i mean gareth edwards spoke to that 
Yeah. They, you know, they, they, their own telling on the on the behind the scenes as they watched Monsters and they were like, yeah, that guy yeah. did him. Lord and Miller, obviously. Josh Trank, obviously. You know, like all mm-hmm. of these guys. Like even, you know, Ryan Johnson and Colin Trevorrow, like everyone who they've hired, you know, aside from maybe J.J., you know, because it was the first one right out of the bat and they wanted someone who was like marquee. But ever since yeah. then, it's always been this like emerging talent, emerging talent. And it obviously has been very, very, very hit or miss for them. And it's cost them, I think, lots and lots of money. And they've had to bring in guys like Tony Gilroy and Ron Howard, established people, to come in and quote-unquote fix the problems. Because, I mean, let's face facts. Okay, it is kind of crazy to say, wow, you made a really cool movie for, you know, $1.5 million. Here's episode nine. You know what I mean? It's an insane idea when you think about it. But at the same time, it's cool and it's really kind of disappointing that they're just like no 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 we need to play it safe we need to make sure that these things are exactly what the people want and not something new and crazy that people don't know that they want right right and that and the thing is i'm gonna i'm gonna hop on that because of course you know i'm always the you know with my flaming sword defending the prequels and everything is what informed lucas making the prequels he wanted to make the movies he wanted to make and that's cool. it was it wasn't I'm making these movies specifically so that people will buy the products and go to the theme park and those sorts of things. They'll do that anyway, you know, so long as they like it. So I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do the movies I want to do. Now, again, we all know that I, that's that's my go to. But to speak to your point. Yeah, you know, like the uh, by uh, I mean, it got silenced pretty quickly, but um uh, Krennic, I uh, I forget the actor's name right now for ben some reason. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn actually said in an interview, and I'm sure he was silenced quickly afterward, where he said, oh, no, there's a really different cut of Rogue One out there. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, that's, no, that's what I want to see that. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the thing is, for me, I'm hearing what you're saying about Daldry, but I'm also hearing, oh, we're going to make an Obi-Wan movie and we're picking a director. Well, who's going to write this thing? See, this is this is where I hold out eternal hope, right? Because as much as I've sort of like bad-mouthed and trashed every single Stephen Daldry movie that I've seen, which is like all but his first one, because the, he also made The Reader, which was not good. Although I'd say that was the closest one that he's made to being good. But I, I it was still not a good movie. Um, one thing which I just watched recently, which I've been meaning to watch, whatever, and this was the inspiration for me to finally do it, is he directed the first two episodes of The Crown, which is the show on Netflix, you know, the... Um, yes. Yeah, and, you know, he's also directing, I think, the first two episodes of season two, which come out in December, I believe. And The Crown, as much as I as much as much I hated everything else that he's done, those first two episodes of The Crown are amazing. I mean, have you watched it? I haven't. No, I know. I know. I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, the 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 nuptial nerds yeah. over there on the yep. nerd nuptial are are really big fans, right? And I, I know I know that they reviewed it, so you can find a nerd nuptial episode here on the nerdparty.com that did talk about 
the crowd. Yeah. My wife, huge fan, you know, she's like, you got to watch this show. How? And like, I even told her, I'm like, I watched the first two episodes. She's like, how did you stop? I'm like, I don't know. I had to go to work or, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> what, what, ma- what makes them so stellar? What, well, what, what's the hook? Well, I mean, as far as like Daldry stuff is concerned, like, it is like spot on in terms of direction. The performances are astounding, but the, you know, I think these are performances which, and, and he's always been known for being really good with actors. And I'm not going to take that away from him, but I've never really been impressed with him. Like visually here, I really was like, he has like a, it's, it's very restrained, but it's also in a lot of ways modern. And I think that comes from like shooting digitally. It's got that sort of like, almost like Fincher, Soderbergh-esque kind of like glow to the photography, which uh, it's it's a gorgeous looking show. And just the way that he does like very subtly use like the camera and stuff like that and editing and everything to tell these stories, which are very, you know, sort of like simple in terms of their, their action. You know, it's not like, it's not like a, a Michael Bay movie or anything like that. It's very, you know, sort of like, simple whatever but he he does it so effectively and um the thing about it which is really intriguing to me getting back to your question is they're written by peter morgan and peter morgan is an amazing writer who's written um things like frost nixon the queen you know i mean like a a bunch of like really 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 solid stuff and okay. I don't think I've ever seen a Peter Morgan anything that I haven't liked. And, uh, you know, this is no exception. You know, it's it's like right in his wheelhouse. But if you look at kind of like his filmography and stuff like that, like Morgan uh, does does like a lot of, I mean, he, he, yes, he does a lot of these, you know, like royal family thingies. But he has more range than that. Like he did... Um, Rush for for Ron Howard, and he did uh, the Last King of Scotland and stuff like that, which I guess is royalty as well, but it's not like well, British I'll tell royalty. you that the Last King of Scotland is an incredible film. Like I love the Last King of Scotland, and I think that uh, if you have not, if you're listening to this and you have not seen it, do yourself a huge favor and rent or stream that that film. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen it. I need to, I need to definitely see I, it. I, that is, you know, I, I'll, I'll say that's the movie that sold me on McAvoy. It's the first time I was totally sold on McAvoy. And Forrest Whitaker, who is an actor that I love to begin with, I think that he is a really great actor who makes some really subtle choices. He's been in some unfortunate films, but, like, his, his portrayal uh, is insane. Like you're, he he's the t- he's playing a megalomaniacal dictator with psychotic tendencies, and you believe it. You forget you're watching Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, uh, and that's what he that won film. the Oscar for too. Yeah, it's 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 amazing uh, the performance that he pulls off. And Mac McAvoy doesn't should not be sold short in that. It's a really really excellent film. Yeah. So. You know, the fact that now, you know, like Morgan is working with Daldry, you know, they obviously have a good relationship having done, you know, now two seasons of this show together. I just, I don't know whether or not it's a thing, a real thing, if it could be, but I hold out hope that they would hire Peter Morgan to write this script. And if that happens, 
Oh my god. I am so on board with this movie. It's not even Now see, funny. now see over over on aggressive negotiations, we uh you know that we're big big fans of of Obi-Wan and everything like that and we had a poll and our primary choice and it looks like the fans primary choice to write it. Can you guess who it would be? Uh I'm going to guess uh, if is George Lucas on there? Because no. if it's not George Lucas, then it's going to be Dave no. Filoni. Although, how crazy would it be if they coaxed Lucas out to do an Obi-Wan movie? That'd be pretty crazy. Wouldn't that be... That would be great. Or, or just have him script it. Just have, just have him work with Filoni to script it. Give him like a story credit or something like that. I, I, and I, I know not everybody's crazy for Lucas's directing style. I am. But Fine. Bring him on, have him be executive producer and everything. He, you know, he always talked about how he hated being the one to collect the footage to begin with. And uh, fine, bring Daldry on, but then Lucas is a story and you know co-screenwriter with Filoni. I mean, you're talking about the two people who know the character of Obi Wan the best. Okay, but here's the thing, right? And I mean, this is sort of like a thing which I keep on going back to with this whole project, which is really like, what story? Have we not seen with Obi-Wan Kenobi? I mean, really. I, I will like, tell you. I'll tell he, you right now. Episode three, he goes and he, no. he sits in the freaking desert. And then I we will, see no. him in episode four, and he's sitting in the freaking desert. No, I will I will tell you right now. I have the story pitch. And the thing is, I know this is going to go over the airwaves. Disney's going to hear me. They're going to make this. I'm going to make no money on this. But yeah. I, I'm if I can change the course of history by giving this idea out there, then I'm perfectly happy with it all right let's hear there it. is a line in return of the jedi that i have always fixated on where luke is talking with vader and luke says come with me and vader's back is to the camera and he looks slouched over and sad in a way and he says obi-wan once thought as you do in this time period i would love to see a movie where obi-wan tortured by guilt, tortured by visions, tortured by what have you, goes off and tries to sway Vader back, tries to redeem him. Something goes wrong. Obi-Wan gets injured. You know, so that gives weight to the line, surely he must be dead by now. But it also fleshes out why is Obi-Wan ready by the time, by dialogue in, uh, in, in the original trilogy, especially as a ghost, where he's like, Basically, he's basically like, no, don't redeem him. You, you got to kill Vader. Vader's got to die. Obi-Wan's given up hope. So you could very easily have a film where you see why Obi-Wan has given up hope is he actually tried to redeem Vader. He tried to bring him back. He said, maybe I can set things right and it goes wrong. And so when you come back to him in episode four, you understand why why Obi-Wan is very sad in a way and thinking the only way to take this down is to kill Vader. And I think that would be the story you could tell. That would be very, very interesting instead of having him just sit around in the desert and look at the sky for 30 years. or I, I know, You know, that's years, as, good as, as good an idea as any, I, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm re- I've never... 
I know that this is an unpopular opinion, apparently, which is I find bizarre, but I've never been a huge Obi-Wan fan, maybe because I'm not really into the mysticism side of Star Wars. I've never been like, I wanted to, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be Luke Skywalker. I wanted to be Han Solo. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker, but I think at heart, I really wanted to be Han Solo. I just related to Luke Skywalker because See? he was, you know. See, what's, what's interesting is when I was a little kid, I wanted to be Han Solo, and then when I grew up, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Okay. So I, I have like sort of like a flipped, a flipped journey there. Yeah. But I, like Obi-Wan, for me, it's not, it's not so much the mysticism e- even, but like especially with everything that comes to light in the prequels and the final fight that they have there and everything, like what has it got to feel like? I mean, when he leaves Mustafar, he thinks he's killed Anakin, I mean, like, imagine carrying that around with yourself for however long, thinking, oh, man, I killed my best friend. Uh, I, I literally killed my best friend. I totally see that and everything, and, and I do find that to be fascinating. But at the same time, I don't see, like, there's nothing about Obi-Wan's story, which I feel, for one thing, is missing, and for another thing, could be turned into something which resembles a feature-length narrative. You know what I mean? Like, what mm-hmm. you just said, yes, that's fascinating. And I'll sit there and think, like, what would that be like? But at no point would I be like, I want to see his inner turmoil on screen, because that, to me, sounds like a Stephen Daldry movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they picked the right director, uh, Mike. spot on then spot on i don't know you know i mean yes am i gonna go see it yes am i gonna look forward to it yeah because that's true of any star wars movie but like you know there's that meme which has been going around with the guy who's looking at the woman who's out of focus and the thing and i saw one where it was you know he was fandom what he was looking at was the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie and yes. his, you know, fiance was the Han Solo movie. And I'm yes. like, that's hilarious. And yet that's not me at all. Like I'm totally looking at the Han Solo movie still, even with all of these problems, even with all of this, whatever, like that Han Solo movie right there is like, you know, very, very much. Well, I mean, the Han Solo movie is basically being completely reshot. It, yeah, like, it, it could be. You yeah. know, I mean, they they're say they're cutting characters. They say they're, they're almost done. Everything. Hey, mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. Kubrick. You know, I mean, he did the same thing on Eyes Wide Shut. He got rid of. Uh, um, yeah, that turned out well. What's her name? Uh, the, 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 uh, the woman from. Uh, wasn't oh. Harvey Keitel also cut out? I, I no, I think he was never cast. Um, maybe he was cut. I don't know, but. Uh, Oh, the woman from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. What's her name? What's her name? Phoebe Gates. No, the 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 lead. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes, Jennifer Jason Lee. She, she was in Eyes Wide Shut. No, she's not. But she shot. No, but she was supposed to be. She she shot her entire role. She spent like a month and a half there shooting. You know. No way. Yeah, and then wow. they're like, "We need you for reshoots," and she's like, "I can't." And they're like, "Okay." And I mean, that was a different scenario because instead of saying like, "Let's re- recast and shoot her whole stuff again," they were like, "Let's just take her part out and replace it with a new scene, a new you know sequence, which 
does what that did, but is a completely different story because it's Kubrick and he's weird. But the end result is, you know, one of the best movies ever made. So, you know, that hey, is a categorically false statement. Eyes Wide Shut's a that masterpiece. Is, I'm sorry. Is, no. You know, Eyes Wide Shut's the best movie we've discussed at all today. <laughs> OK, I'm just saying. <laughs> but you don't think Stephen Daldry could have done Eyes Wide Shut? Hell no. <laughs> Nobody could have done Eyes Wide Shut except for Kubrick, you know? OK. All right. All right, fair if enough. If Kubrick were making an Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi movie, I'd be like, yes. You know, this will okay. be the best movie ever made. This will be better than Eyes Wide Shut. This will be the Eyes Wide Shut of the Star Wars franchise. But <laughs> as it stands... That's not a compliment. It's, it's, not it's a the compliment. highest compliment one can give. No, it is not. It is not. But one of the highest compliments you can give to this show is to go over to iTunes. Go ahead and give us a star rating and review. If you give us just a star rating, we will appreciate it. If you give us a review, we can acknowledge you on air because when we get star ratings, they don't tell us who did it. Uh, but when they give, when you give reviews, we know exactly who did it. So uh, go on. Drop a, a kind word to us, if you will. Uh, and, you know, up at the top of the show, nerdparty.com slash contact and you know, you can find us on Facebook and everything. But, uh, Mike, where can people find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing a show called Commentary Track Stars, and you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and doing another show called Stage 9 along with you. That's right. Stage 9 is a, a fun cavalcade of uh, looking at the works of Star Trek creators, and we have a grand old time over on Trek FM with that. Uh, and then you can come back here to uh, the Nerd Party, and you can hear me with Matt Rushing over on Aggressive Negotiations, which is a it's a Star Wars show, but it uh, walks to a different drumbeat than most, I would say. And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to reach out to me on uh, social media, I am kessel junkie so thank you for this journey reach out to us let us know um how crazy mike is for calling eyes wide shut a masterpiece but otherwise you know what do you see for the obi-wan movie because guess what we're going to be talking about it for some time yet join the revolution join the nerd party